doesn't get talked about as much, but it's really, really important. And it's this. It's that we fear God. Now, that word fear is going to need a bit of explaining, so I'm going to do that. But once that's done, I'm then just going to read several Psalms from the Old Testament and some really long passages from the New Testament as well, and then we're going to worship again together. Um, I think it's about 20 minutes of Bible reading uh, that we're going to have. And if you're new here, what we usually do is take a short piece of scripture and have a look at it and try and explain what it means and therefore what God is saying to us through it and how we need to respond. That's what we usually do. Uh, But this week, as I was praying about speaking to you today, the idea came into my head that actually we just need to hear a lot more of God's word uh, today. And so that's what we're going to do. And I believe God's going to work through this. And he will. So before we do that, let's just be clear. What do we mean by fear? Fear is frequently used positively in the Bible to talk about how people respond to God. And that might trouble us when we read that. It might make us think that God is some sort of kind of power-crazed, insecure dictator who wants everyone to be frightened of him. Now, maybe he would be like that if he was just a much, much, much stronger version of us. Because that's probably what we would do. When we think about ourselves, think of those around us, we'd be like, well, how would I deal with my fear? Well, I'd just be really stronger than everyone else. And and that's what I would be like. And I'm sure God's kind of like that. But he is not like us. He's not like that. And when you start to see how fear is used in the Bible, you'll realize that it's something different from the kind of anxiety or terror that we might think of. We get hints of this in passages like Jeremiah 32, verses 40 to 41, where God says, I'll make with my people an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good with all my heart and all my soul. And for us, those two things coming together might seem really strange. He's talking about fear and he's talking about doing us good. Well, no, usually fear is a bad thing. So let's, let's kind of try and separate this out a little bit. The 17th century preacher John Flavel distinguished between three types of fear. He talks firstly about natural fear. And natural fear is, is basically legit fear. It's, it's what you might feel, say, if, if you encounter, I don't know, like a wolf in the wild. Or we were discussing in the office this week about killer whales. Now, they've obviously rebranded as orca. And, you know, there's no... <laughs> There's no record of them ever eating a human, ever. But if you were out in the sea and some killer whales turned up, you should be scared. Okay, that that would be a totally natural. You would be fearful. Now, that isn't how things are meant to be. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to take away all of that that tension and that that rapaciousness that leads to that kind of fear. But it is how it is right now. That's a natural fear. I don't know if spiders are in that category, but possibly for you they are. That's okay too. Natural fear. But then Flavel says there's sinful fear. And sinful fear is an unbelief in God. The first thing that Adam says to God in Genesis 3 after he has sinned is, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. This fear doubts God. 
doubts who God is and what he's like. And sin distorts and destroys our knowledge of him. We don't know what he's really like, but we assume that he is untrustworthy, that he's vindictive, that he's bad news. Sinful fear leads to anxiety about what the future holds and also dread of what other people think of us. If we're we're no longer fearing God as we ought to, if we're no longer rightly relating to him, then we relate wrongly to ourselves and to those around us as well. And so that fear then can express itself through either cowering before people and just doing whatever they say and whatever they want, or trying to dominate them and getting them to do whatever you say and whatever you want. It's two sides of the same coin. Sinful fear. But then there's what Flavel calls religious fear. And this is a true understanding of who God is within a relationship with him. And from it, flows love and peace and glad obedience. And we can even see those three fears as like a sequence which God may take us through. We experience creation. We see the wonders and the the majesty of like mountains and all sorts of things. And we're like, wow, God is creator. And that makes us feel a sense of awe towards him. Then there's our awareness of our sinfulness of how we've rebelled against him. And that might make us think about God as a judge, and we would therefore dread him. And that's where many people stop. And it seems that there's, you know, they're giving God some respect in that. Creator, so we're all in awe of him. Judge, uh, so we dread him. And so that, well, I'm giving God respect. Isn't that what he's looking for? And that's not where God wants you to stop. So today, that's not where God wants you to stop. Because Jesus has revealed that God is creator, that he is judge, and that he is our saviour. He who made all things, the creator, he who against whom we have rebelled, our judge, is also the one who willingly, joyfully even, paid the most horrendous price that we might be redeemed, that we could be rescued. He sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, that whoever believes in him might not die, but have eternal life. And he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just save us, but as we said a few weeks ago, he adopts us into his family. And he brings us into the community of eternal love That is the Trinity, God the Father, God the resurrected Son, and God the Holy Spirit who is sent to us. And so if this is our framework of understanding how God is relating to us, how God is revealing himself to those who put their trust in him, then the fear of the Lord is, as the theologian Michael Reeves puts it, the overwhelmed devotion of children marvelling at the kindness and righteousness and glory and complete magnificence of the Father. He also says, the nature of the living God means that the fear that pleases him is not a a groveling, shrinking fear. He's no tyrant. It is an ecstasy of love and joy that senses how overwhelmingly kind and magnificent good and true God is, and that therefore leans on him in staggered praise and faith. 
I'm aware that it's a very emotive word to use, fear, particularly in relation to God. It would probably make more sense to you if we spent a longer time uh, looking at it in more detail. But what we're going to do instead is just listen to God's word directly. And I've chosen passages which I think illustrate or or describe um, this godly fear, which we've briefly defined. Others I've included because I hope they're going to stir that in you. Maybe amazement at creation and then from that wonder at salvation. Often you'll find they bring these two things together, God's power and his tenderness. And they should give us an increased sense of how great and how good and how lovely and how true our God is. And that will therefore make us want to give him the kind of worship that we also see described in these passages. I'm going to put uh, all the references that I read in the, like the online notes. So if you, you want particular ones, you'll be able to find them and those quotes will be on there as well. But what we're just going to do now is listen to God's word. I pray that he transforms us as we do so. Let's start by praying. Lord, you invite us to, to come to you and to hear you. And Lord, we, many of us here are those who want to hear your word. And we, and we pray you give us ears to hear it. And Lord, you, you say in your word that we should pray that you would open our eyes, that we might see wonderful things in your word. The most wonderful thing in your word and in all existence, Lord, is you. So Holy Spirit, now as I just read loads and loads and loads of the words that you gave us that we might know God, would you work in us that we might know God? Would we experience this fear, not that terror and not a casual lightness, but a delighted, reverent, amazed, tender love. Help us, Lord. Psalm 34 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him. And saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, oh children, listen to me. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Well, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, 
the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Psalm 66, shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sing praises to you. They sing praise to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I'll perform my vows to you. That which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I'll make an offering of bulls and goats. That's him saying, I will worship you. Come and hear all you who fear God and I will tell you what he's done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth and high praise was on my tongue. If I cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Psalm 96, and just to say when the word talks about a judge, that is someone who delivers a verdict, but also someone who makes things right. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He's to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. 
Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering. Come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the forest, trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows how we're formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower in the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it, knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there's no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, 
who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. In Isaiah 6, at a time of turmoil, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, some kind of heavenly creature. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me! For I am lost from a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. And your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am. Send me. Centuries later, the Lord sent his son. And on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, He fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken in. So also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything. And followed him. 
It's another story with another Simon, who's one of the Pharisees. And he asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they couldn't pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. And turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Look, she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. As his life draws near to its end, Jesus draws near to Jerusalem. And Luke and Matthew Tell us about this. And they say that the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you. If these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. A few days later, after he's died, and after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake 
For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you'll see him. See, I've told you so. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Hebrews 12, the writer compares the Christian situation with that of those who came to Mount Sinai. God revealed himself with fire and thunder in the top of the mountain. And God hasn't changed, but how we relate to God because of Jesus has changed. And so the writer says, you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. You haven't come to them, he says. They could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Two more readings from Revelation, which use a lot of symbols. That may be a bit confusing, but I think you'll get something of the gist. John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning... I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his feet was like the roar of many waters. His voice, sorry, was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was shining like the sun in full strength. When I saw him, 
I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. John's then shown what's going on in heaven right now. And he's going to talk about a scroll in chapter 5, and that, that basically represents all of God's purposes for judgment and for blessing. It's basically the answer to, will things be made right? And once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire to the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side, there are four living creatures. And the four living creatures never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honour and thanks to him who's seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. Or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he'd taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. 
And by your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads of thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honour and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honour and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped him. And brothers and sisters, I'd just like to suggest we do the same. Why don't we stand? And why don't we sing to him?